is to welcome some new members into our church, and I'm not going to make you come up here, because I'm not mean like Pastor Andy. <sighs> I want to welcome JD and Misty and Sydney. If you guys would just stand up, I am kind of mean. <laughs> welcome to the Walzers. And it was, a, it was a busy week of membership meetings, and uh, just by a really slim margin, um, Junior and Darlene Duke have been welcoming to membership too. Would you guys stand up? <laughs> yeah, um, I, there's, a, I, there's a story behind that. Darlene was picking on me yesterday, so I told her I was going to get her at church, and I got her. Um, <laughs> Now I'm in trouble, aren't I, darling? Yeah, I'm in trouble. That's all right. I got big shoulders. We're in Luke chapter 21, and we're in the section in Luke's gospel that Jesus is giving what is known as the Olivet Discourse. He is talking to his disciples and to us about what's about to happen in the future. And he's giving his disciples some signs that they need to look for that point to his return. So here's a, just a, like a duh thing for us. If they were to be looking for these signs then, should we not be seeing these signs today as well? Should we not? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And so Luke doesn't record this phrase that Matthew records in his gospel at this point. And in Matthew chapter 24, verse 8, this is the corresponding passage, Matthew records that Jesus says this, this, about these signs. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Like, what did he just say? He said, the, all this stuff that we're going to talk about today, it is just the beginning of the birth pains. Now, it's Father's Day, and one of the best things about being a father is I did not have to experience birth pains. Really, there probably shouldn't be Father's Day because we didn't experience the birth pains, if we're being honest, guys, right? Every woman's like, yeah, you're right, dude. I have been present, though, as my wife has experienced birth pains, and I know a couple things about that. One, I'm not nearly as tough as my wife. I know that. Two, they are pretty intense even when they start. Every woman, amen? Yeah, they're, they're, they're ghastly. And the third thing I know about them is, they don't get better. They don't get better. I never thought my hand was going to recover from where my wife was holding it. It's more like tourniqueting it. And Jesus is talking about the signs that we're going to look at here in Luke chapter 21 this morning. And he says this, this is just the beginning of the birth pains. In other words... Disciples, Johnstown Church in 2022, they're going to increase in frequency. Isn't that what birth pains do? They're going to increase in frequency, and they're going to also increase in intensity until Christ returns. So the things that Jesus was pointing us to here, and his disciples to in Luke chapter 21, they're, they're, they're increasing in intensity, and they're increasing in frequency as the days get longer and longer. So let's turn our attention to Luke chapter 21. I'm going to read verses 10 through 19 this morning. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. 
there will be great famines. And in various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. I promise you there's going to be a good ending to this message, okay? (laughs) I promise you as we start. So, Father, in the moments that we have, I pray that your word's already gotten our attention as we've heard those words. Some of this stuff is downright frightful. Some of this stuff is intense. Some of this stuff is stuff that we don't even want to think about, but we need to think about this morning. So, Spirit, do that work that you can only do in our hearts by taking the word of God, bringing it alive in our hearts, and planting it deep, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So the signs that Jesus is pointing to are pretty obvious here, but I just want to talk about them just a little bit. Let's go back up to verse 10. He begins by saying this, okay? Nation's going to rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Wars have been a consistent part of world history. I'm a world history guy. I love world history. War has been a part of world history. As long as there have been people, there has been conflict, right? And as long as there have been people that have grouped themselves together in, in nations and kingdoms, they have not gotten along with other nations and kingdoms. Certainly, we live in days when war is a regular part of our lives. Just in my lifetime, I went back through my lifetime this week and I was thinking through, just in my lifetime, I'm only 55 years old, I have been alive for Vietnam and then Cambodia, I've been alive for the first Afghan war where we got involved with the Russians and and the Afghanis in that war, there's been Grenada, there's been Libya, there's been Kosovo, there's been a Gulf War, there's been a war in Afghanistan, there's Somalia, there's a war in Iraq, Bosnia, Libya. Oh, and by the way, whether you realize it or not, we're engaged in Syria right now. And I'm not getting them all. That's just in my lifetime. That's just our country has been involved in those conflicts. Currently in our world right now, we got what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. But that's not the only place where the world is at, is at unrest. Do you realize that, that much of Africa is at war right now? In Ethiopia and the Sudan, they're fighting right now. Yemen, Yemen, there's fighting. Myanmar, there's fighting. Syria, I don't know that they've ever stopped fighting in Syria. None of what's going on in our world, though, right now compares to World War I or World War II. None of that compares to what what our world has already experienced. And these certainly don't compare to what the Bible tells us is going to come to our earth. Keep your finger here and turn with me to Revelation chapter 16. I want you to see the kind of language that John uses when he describes what's about to come. 
In Revelation chapter 16, we have a picture of, of what will truly be the war to end all wars. In Revelation 16, verse 12, this is in the section of the seven bowl judgments. So we get to judgment number six in verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way of the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean, unclean spirits like frogs. They are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Literally, there is going to be such an evil spirit, an evil force in our world today. It will grab every kingdom's leader, every nation's leader, and it will just entice them to come to war. Verse 15, behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. That place is in modern day Israel. All the nations of the world are going to come together in conflict. It's like they're being drawn there by a force. And that force is an evil force, and that force is coming to do battle with Almighty God himself. And in Revelation chapter 19, King Jesus shows up. King Jesus shows up riding a white horse, leading the armies of heaven. And it says that with the sword coming out of his mouth, which is what comes out of somebody's mouth, but words, right? With the word coming out of his mouth, literally all the nations are slaughtered. All the nations are slaughtered. War is a big part of our world because hate and evil and wickedness and pride are all bound up in our hearts. And so we're always going to be facing war. If you listen to some of our Christmas carols, I know I'm about to say something bad about Christmas. Mark this down. If you listen to most of our Christmas carols, it all sounds like that when Jesus arrives at a baby, as a baby, all of a sudden the world's going to be a better place. You know, peace on earth, goodwill to men, and the wrong shall fail, the right prevail. I'm still waiting for that to happen, aren't you? It is going to happen, but just not with Jesus' first coming. It's going to happen with his second coming. And so war is going to be a big part of what takes place back in Luke chapter 21. So the sign that Jesus points to is nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And then he says this, there's going to be great earthquakes great earthquakes. In 1556, it's estimated that there was an earthquake that hit China that killed over 830,000 people. 830,000 people. In our lifetimes, December of 04, there was an earthquake in the, in the Indian Ocean that killed at least 220,000 people. How many remember January of 2010, the earthquake that rocked Haiti? Seen the images of that? At least 160,000 people dead. In Revelation chapter 6, we have this description. Come with me. Look at it with me. Revelation chapter 6, we have this description of what's going to happen during the tribulation period. And in Revelation chapter 6, verse 12 describing the seal judgments which precede those bowl and trumpet judgments, 
says, when he opened the sixth seal, verse 12, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The earth moon, or the full moon, excuse me, became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is rolled up and every mountain island was removed from its place. In other words, the earthquake is going to be so cataclysmic that it's going to change the geography of our earth. It will be unrecognizable. And let's understand something. That's a good thing. You say, PD, why? Well, because this old earth has been decaying for quite a while now, hasn't it? And it has been in a slow process of falling apart. God's going to speed it up a little bit. But I got good news. He's not going to leave it that way. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. This old earth is getting replaced. And notice the response of the people in verse 15. The kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains. Where is the last place you want to go in an earthquake? Okay? So you tell me, is the, is the, is the fear powerful here? Is, it, is, the, is the terror real that they're experiencing? The last place I want to go in an earthquake is a cave under a mountain. And this is where they're going to, and they're saying in verse 16, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? That same Jesus and God that we sang about, behold our God seated on his throne. If you're his child, it's a good thing to look at him, but if you're not, it's a scary thing to look at God seated on his throne. It's a fearful thing. These, these people have seen him seated on his throne, and they're ready to run to the mountains and let the mountains crush them. Go back with me to Luke chapter 21. Jesus said there's going to be war, there's going to be earthquakes, and then he says this, and in various places, famines and pestilences, widespread hunger and disease, widespread. In the Middle Ages, it was the bubonic plague. It's estimated that the bubonic plague killed one-third of Europe's population, one-third of Europe's population. I know, it's, this is like an opportunity for me to just rip on the pandemic. I'm not going to. But there was a real pandemic in our country in 1918. The influenza virus. It's estimated it killed up to 100 million people. I've read accounts of some pastors in small towns that were doing upward as, as many as 20 funerals a day. 20 funerals a day. Not really great dinnertime conversation when you come home. How was your day, honey? That's child's play compared to what is going to happen. If you stayed in Revelation chapter 6, you're a smart person, but if you didn't, we have to go back. I'm sorry, I meant to tell you to stay there. I want you to see what's going to happen in the last days. It's estimated that the Earth's population right now is 8 billion people. Let's use that number because it's a nice round number. It's going to help us out, okay? 8 billion people. Revelation chapter 6, verse 7. 
When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Okay? I'm not a big math whiz, but one-fourth of eight million is how many, church? Two million. Two million people wiped out. Billion, thank you. Two billion people wiped out. It's even worse. Thank you, Carrie. <laughs> Carrie doesn't want me to have a happy ending to this message. Turn over a page or two in your Bible to Revelation chapter 9. Because after God wipes out a quarter of the earth's population, I want you to see Revelation 9, verse 18. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. He's talking about these powerful beings that are going to be released. A third are going to die. Okay, so back to eight million. We lost a quarter. That leaves us how many? Take a third of six, and how many is that? Two billion. In a short span of time, half the earth's population, gone, gone. No wonder, he says, the things that are happening in our world now are just birth pains. They're just birth pains. Then Jesus goes on to talk, and in Luke chapter 21, he says, there's going to be terrors. This is the only time this word is used in the New Testament, something that causes great fear. And I was thinking about this. You know, there, there's, there's two different kinds of terrors in our world today. There's, there's man-produced terrors, right? I'm like, I don't even walk into public places the same way anymore that I used to. I'm just like looking around for the guy who's going to probably shoot me up. It's the way it feels like, right? Those kind of terrors. I don't know if you realize this, but this month, on June 6th, in Nigeria... 50-plus people were gunned down as they were going to church. 50-plus people were gunned down. In Nigeria, in the first three weeks of 2022, 486 people had lost their lives. And it's going to continue and intensify. There's man-produced terrors, but there's also natural terrors, too. Okay, like, why would anybody want to live in California with the wildfires? I know there's some wackos in our own church who would go back. <laughs> Do you know who they are, Pastor Andy? <laughs> you love the winners here? What if I told you you could have Dodger senior tic season tickets? Would you go back? Never. Never. Oh, yeah. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Natural terrors. Stuff that you and I can't control. Then Jesus goes on to say this. There's going to be great signs from heaven. How many of you were affected this week by the storms? Birth pains. They're just birth pains. Isaiah prophesied about them in Isaiah chapter 13. 
Revelation talks about things like this. The sun's going to be black. The moon's going to be like blood. Stars falling to the earth. This stuff is all going to intensify. And Jesus uses that to introduce what really is his point here in our text here. Because verses 12 through 19 are where the real meat of this text is. And he says, before all this, they're going to lay hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. So let's all run and hide. Let's, let's avoid it, right? Jesus says what? This is your opportunity. You see it there in verse 13? Hey, I got a great opportunity for you, disciples. You're going to get arrested. You're going to get dragged in front of people. And you're going to be accused of terrible things because you follow me. He says, this is your opportunity to bear witness. This is, this is an opportunity. Paul talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, said this, those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He didn't say might be persecuted. He said will be persecuted. You want to know why coming to church is really important in many ways? Not so that they know who to come persecute, You know why it's important? Because every one of us is beginning to feel a little bit of that persecution in the world. And when we come here, we remind ourselves, you know what? It is worth it to follow Jesus. It is worth it to do it. Yeah, I began the service by saying this. We're all messed up. Yeah, we are messed up. But it's worth it to be messed up in following Jesus. Look down at verses 16 and 17, because this is the reality. This is a harsh reality. This is a punch in the face. I I can imagine the disciples there sitting there listening to this. They're hearing all this stuff about all the things that are going to happen in the world. And and then all of a sudden, Jesus drops this on them. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And then he goes on to say, and some of you are going to be put to death. If we can believe church history and historians, church history tells us that 10 of the 11 men who were his disciples that heard this, that became true for them. They died as martyrs. I think of the old song, the old hymn, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? And and one of the verses says this, Shall I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease, while others fought through bloody or, or, or others fought for bloody prize and sailed through bloody seas. Folks, we have it really good right now. Do you realize that? Take our congregation, drop it in China right now, and it's a different story. Take our congregation, drop it in Nigeria right now. It's a different story. Try to start a congregation like this in Syria and see what happens. We have it really good. And the reality is that there's coming a day, and it's coming really close for us here in this country. The world is not the friend of those who are a friend of Jesus. The world is not a friend of those who are a friend of Jesus. 
And notice what he says in verse 17. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. That puts some perspective on this. Keep your finger here. And I want you to come with me to a man who heard this message, and, and he's writing a, not about this message that he heard, but he's writing about what his experience has been, and he's encouraging a group of people as, as they are going through this. Come with me to Peter's writing about this in 1 Peter chapter 4. Hear what, hear what Peter has to say about this. Some of you are thinking at this point, PD, if you're trying to sign us up as believers, if you're trying to be evangelistic right now, it's not working. No one wants to join this. Peter understood what it was to be persecuted. Peter understood what it was to, to be hated for the sake of Christ. And he writes this in verse 12 of chapter 4 of 1 Peter. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. We think of fiery trials as our transmission going out in our car or we lost power for a couple days. That's not the fiery trial that Peter's talking about. He's talking about it in connection directly with suffering for the name of Jesus. He says, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. There's coming a day, folks, when we're going to have to make a choice. Will I stand with him or will I be ashamed? Maybe it's happening to you on the job. Maybe it's happening to you with family. You understand what this is. And notice what Peter's advice to us is in verse 17 through 19. It is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? What he's saying is this, is it better to be in the household of God or outside the household of God when this hits? Obvious answer, it's better to be the child of God, is it not? And if righteousness is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, that's key, suffer according to God's will. This is God's plan, folks. This is God's plan. How do we do it? We entrust their souls, our souls, to a faithful creator while doing good. There's a way to suffer and do it right, and there's a way to suffer and do it wrong. The wrong way to suffer is to go around and tell everybody that you're suffering, and act like you're suffering, and be like, oh, this is terrible, this world is awful. Or you can go through this life and suffer and have a faith that carries you through, a faith in a God who is faithful. And so the reality for us is we are going to suffer. The reality for all believers is there's a price to be paid in following Jesus. I know, 
It's, it's a lot better to get people just to want to come to Jesus because Jesus meets all their needs, walk an aisle, pray a little prayer, and tell them everything is going to be get better. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You come follow Jesus, and you have signed yourself up for suffering. You've signed yourself up for persecution. You've signed yourself up for a tough way to go. But you've also signed yourself up for something that nobody in this world would ever want to reject, and that is life with him forever. So how do we live? How do we respond to that? How, how do we respond knowing that Jesus has told these initial disciples, and, and now us, generations later, hey, you follow me, you're going to pay a price for that. How do we respond to that? Well, I think there's a lot of us that think that we can do this. Well, you know what? I'm going to sign up for all the benefits, kind of like when you sign up for like AARP or something like that. I don't really agree with everything they're doing, but I'm going to sign up for all the benefits. I'm going to sign up for all the benefits of being a Christian, okay? So, so I get some friends that are built in. I get to feel good about myself when I come to church. I may even work in VBS or even worse, I may go down and work in the nursery and I may serve God that way. But when the, whenever the stuff really starts flying, then I'm just going to kind of go underground. Jesus says no. Look at Luke chapter 21. They're going to lay their hands on you. They're going to deliver you up to the synagogues and prisons. You're going to be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. And, and the first thing that Jesus tells us to do is, is to stand in truth. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Who are we bearing witness to or what are we bearing witness to? What is the bedrock of our faith, church? It's Christ and Christ alone, isn't it? We're going to bear witness to who the person of Christ is. The, the overriding question that, that's, going to, that's going to be put before us is, is, who do you think Jesus is? What do you think about Jesus Christ? We're going to speak truth. We have great examples from history of men who did this. Luther, at the Diet of Worms, said this, here I stand, I cannot do otherwise, God help me. And he knew that the stand he was taking was going to put him directly to death. And he said this, here I'm going to stand, I can't do anything else. Later on in 1415, a Bohemian reformer, John Huss, said this. He was a preacher in, 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 in what is now modern day Czechoslovakia. And the Catholic Church was telling him, you have to preach in Latin. And he's like, why? None of these people where I live in this poor area of, of modern-day Czechoslovakia, nobody understands your Latin. And he preached to them in the Czech language. And he wouldn't wear their clerical garb. And they said, either you change your ways or we're going to burn you at the stake. And here's what he said. Hus in the, in the native means, means goose, Okay. He said this, they can burn the goose, but in a hundred years, there will be a swan that they'll be incapable of killing. He spoke truth. You know who the swan was? Luther. Now, did Huss know that when he said that? He had no idea. But 102 years later, Martin Luther went to the, the door at the chapel at Wittenberg, and he nailed his 95 theses to the door and the Catholic Church has never been the same. Praise God. 
You say, how did these guys do that? How, how, did they, how did they, well, verses 14 and 15 help us to know how they did that. One, they settled it in their minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. The worst thing that you and I can do right now is to just go home, curl up in the fetal position and wring our hands and say, what am I going to do when it comes? What am I going to do when it comes? What am I going to do when it comes? Look at verse 15. Here's what we're going to do when it comes. We're going to wait on God to give us the words that need to be said. He says, I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. This came true in just a short amount of time because if we follow the accounts through and we go to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are put on trial, right? And when they're put on trial, they just come out with some just like big hard time truths that just literally stop the mouths of the religious leaders. Where did that come from? Were they so smart? Peter and John were fishermen. I want to tell you, they, they didn't get to be disciples because of their brilliant intellect. Where did those words come from? God gave them those words. In other words, what God's saying is, you trust me. You want to hear some really bold words in a tough time? Go read Acts chapter 7 and read what Stephen had to say when Stephen was put on trial for his life. God give us more men like Stephen. Read Paul in Acts 23 when he's before the council. Read him in Acts 24 when he's before Felix. Read him when he's before Agrippa in, in Acts chapter 26, and you will see this over and over, how God honors his word here and his promise. And understand this, and know this, you're going to be hated if you stand with Christ. You see it there in verses 16 and 17. Jesus clearly says, you will be hated. And in our society today, when it's all about self-love and wanting other people to love us and accept us, that doesn't really play well, does it? Got news for you here. If you're a follower of Jesus, it doesn't really matter what people around you think. But know this. On the authority of Jesus' own words in verses 18 and 19, you're going you're gonna to be saved in the end. He says in verse 18, not a hair of your head will perish. Well, I dare say this is not in a physical realm. Those guys who got burned at the stake, their hairs burn up. Jesus is talking in a spiritual sense here. And he says in verse 19, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. Friend, be confident. Be confident in this. You can make it to the end. And at the end, there is great reward. How do I know this? Paul wrote about this. I want to wrap up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We don't have to go back to Luke. You can just turn your Bible to 1 Thessalonians 5, and we're going to end here. Paul uses the same terminology as Jesus. That shouldn't surprise us. And i got to be honest with you, much of this message this morning has been kind of discouraging. Go ahead and admit it. How many of you said, this is pretty discouraging, PD? Yeah. I want to leave you with some encouragement. If you're not in Christ, this shouldn't just discourage you, this should scare the hell out of you. It really should. This should scare you. 
This is what's coming to our world. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica. They have some questions about what's going to happen. In chapter 4, he's already talked to them about, about the, the catching away, the rapture of the church. And now in chapter 5, verse 1, he says this, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security. Okay? Then sudden destruction will come upon them as what? What does your Bible say? Labor pains. Same terminology Jesus uses. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Every woman who's carried a child knows you cannot escape the labor pains. Am I right, ladies? Once they start, you're like, oh boy, here we go. Right? It's kind of like once the, once the roller coaster has led the sta- or left the station, you ain't stopping it, Right? Notice what Paul says, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. He's writing to believers. He says brothers here. And so if you're in Christ, take these words from Paul here as words directly to you. He says, you, or we are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Be aware of what's going on around you, Christian. Be aware. Pay attention. Pay attention to what's happening. Evil is advancing. The birth pains are getting more intense. They're getting more frequent. That's awesome because that means the coming of Jesus is getting closer. He says, verse 17, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. And here's what Paul says to us. Put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Protect yourself with faith and love, and and let that salvation be right there on your head, protecting your mind. And then he says this. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Here's what what Paul's saying. It's going to get really, really bad. When you see day of the Lord language in the scripture, just just get it in your head. That's, That's not a good time on earth when it's day of the Lord. Because, because God is going to come and, and every wrong that has been done will be righted in that time. Justice will come. We sang about this. You know, you think about it. The cross is where mercy and justice met, right? Was that the cross? We sang that this morning. This is going to be God's justice coming and there will be no mercy. It's because it's going to be on those who have rejected the cross. There will be no mercy. And here's what God says. Church, God's not destined you for that. He's destined you to receive salvation through Christ. Are you in Christ this morning? Because if you are, you don't have to face all that wrath. 
Doesn't mean that the world's not going to hate you. Doesn't mean that you're not going to go through some persecution. Doesn't mean you're not have times. But here is the good news for all of us this morning. If you are in Christ, you and I do not have to face the full wrath of God because Jesus took that for us on the cross. And when you think about it, it's not much to ask. When someone took the full wrath of God for you to put up with a little bit of persecution until he would come take us out of here. And notice what Paul says in verse 11. It's the same thing he says in chapter 4 and verse 18 after he talks about the rapture of the church. He says, encourage one another with these words. Look at verse 11 of chapter 5. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. He's assuming that it's going on there. And, and folks, we need to do it. Who would say with me, the world's getting more evil? Who would say with me, it's getting ti- I'm getting tired of turning on the news? Yeah. Yeah. Because when I turn on the news, all I see is bad stuff happening, right? We got, we got brothers and sisters in this church who are involved in law enforcement, man. When was the last time you talked to them and talked about the things that they're seeing? It's not good. Am I right, law enforcement people? Can I just be a little bit crass and just say this? It sucks out there, right? It's getting bad. And here's what God says to us, encourage one another and build one another up. Why? Because we don't have to face the wrath of God. We have to deal with a lot of stuff that's going on because we live with a sinful world and we are right in the middle of that sinful world, but we don't have to face the wrath of God. And that's a reason enough for us to be encouraged. But here's the thing. If you're not in Christ, you ought to be trembling right now. You ought to be trembling because the birth pains are intensifying. The birth pains are, are, are getting more frequent. The nurse is ready to call the doctor into the room, I think. J.C. Ryle, British preacher, said this when he was talking about future events. He said, he said there's six vital certainties that we all need to know. And I want to leave these with you. One, life is short and uncertain. Right? That's a certainty. Life is short and uncertain. Number two, death is sure. Number three, judgment is inevitable. Number four, sin is exceedingly sinful. Are we not seeing that in our world today? Sin is exceedingly sinful. Number five, hell is a dreadful reality. And number six, and this would be a terrible list if there weren't a sixth one. He said this, Christ and Christ alone can save you. My hope is built on nothing less than Christ's blood and righteousness. Is that your reality this morning? God loves us enough to give us Luke chapter 21. He's not giving this to us to scare us. He's giving this to us to tell us, this is what's coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? Father, it's easy to focus on all of your attributes on a Father's Day and and think about how good and loving and kind you are. And in doing so, we often don't think about those other attributes, like that you're a God of justice that you're a God of holiness that, that can't abide sin, 
And I'm just so thankful this morning that you poured out your wrath on Christ so that I don't have to face it. And for those in this room this morning who, who are under condemnation and will face your wrath, may be, today be the day that they run to the cross, that they flee to the cross so that in coming days they don't flee to the mountains and ask for the rocks to fall on them. We thank you, Jesus, for being our salvation. And we do lift our eyes to you. There's no one else that we can turn to. There's no one else that we can look at who will save us. And so we thank you for so great a salvation. In Christ's name, amen.